God, they turn their ears to you. They turn. Hopefully each week kind of stands by itself. So if you haven't been able to be here for the other parts, you'll be doing just fine. The life we were meant to live. Let me ask you a question before we get into the thoughts from the Word of God about the life we were meant to live. What would you like to have done or experienced along the the pathway of your life at different stages? Perhaps some of you are at these various stages right now, and you're thinking through, well, I really would like to do this before I graduate from high school. And if you're a high school student here, and you're thinking about things, and maybe those of you guys who are way past high school, can you remember back what it was that you really wanted to do before you graduated high school? Kind of what kind of the, the goals that were shaping your heart's desires at that point? Maybe you've gotten past that point. Maybe you're approaching the middle age elements of life. And, you know, before you hit the big 4-0... What would you really like to have done before you turn 40? I want you to take, make a mental note here. You don't have to actually write it down. But make a mental note for a second. Maybe you're into that next stage, or maybe you've got some real long-term planning going on, and you're thinking about, you know, before I retire, before I retire from the workforce, the working world, I really would like to What? Hopefully there's ambitions in our lives and we want something to have been done at different places and different stages in our lives. But my question for us today, if we're honest with ourselves about whatever those things are that are at the top of our minds, is what is it that is informing those goals? What has, what has brought the fuel? What's brought the substance of those things into our lives? Somewhere along the line, we got an idea. And I of us are humble enough to admit there aren't any original ideas. Right? Ain't nobody around here originating anything. We're just borrowing and stealing from everything around us. And then we get it into our minds and we change two words and we think it was ours. That's true of messages as well. But when we stop and think... What helped shape these goals that are particular to you? Right? You have a unique personality. You have a unique background. You've been around certain things. But something helped to shape, ooh, I really want this or that in our lives. Well, I want to highlight two things this morning. I'm sure there's other shaping influences, but I think these kind of cover them all. Look at this quote. It's a very interesting quote in your outline. And One of the things I believe shaping the desires of our lives is advertising. The world that we live in advertises a lot. Listen to this. Stuart Ewan, professor of communications at Hunter College, says in the the ad and the ego video that what affects us is not our experience of any one ad, but of the totality which repeats Certain kinds of messages again and again. This constant stream of messages, 3,000 impressions a day, according to researchers, on television, radio, billboards, buses, t-shirts, sports events, even urinals. I mean, there's no place you can go these days, is there? I mean, the guys would know this. I don't think this is true for the ladies, although I've not been in a ladies' bathroom in a while. 
if ever. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, I haven't been saved my whole life, so I do have to leave some room for inappropriate behavior at some point. <clears throat> All these things form the, listen to this, neural network of our consumer society. You know, in a way, we are plugged in. There's some kind of an IV drip going, and just the society is advertising things to us constantly. And really, really research, and the research that I came across here had anything from a few hundred of these impressions to more than 3,000 each day. And when you start thinking about it, whether it's somebody wearing a T-shirt or the billboards that you pass by that you read, but you didn't even stop to think that you read them, the number of commercials that you listen to and watch the advertisement takes place near a sporting event, and there's advertisement everywhere. They're just eye candy all around. All these things are saying something is worth you having it. You should have these things. These things are fun. This is exciting. This would be great. You know, nobody advertises terrible things, disastrous things. Here, this would be horrible for your life. So somehow the promotion that's coming to us is informing us and our goals begin to get informed and shaped by those things. Now, that's not just pure advertising. It's also coming to us from these kind of front row seats to everyday life in America that we have. <clears throat> we kind of peer out into the lives of people around us, our family that we grew up with. You know, what, you, know you get older and your brother or your sister's family, they're off doing something, they're accomplishing some things, and you get emails back and forth and you get together for holidays and everybody listens and they've just bought this new thing or traveled to this place or just got a degree in that thing and they're pursuing this now. All that stuff, front row seats. And the thing that, that is the most perhaps subtle in this is what people get all jazzed up about. What do they get animated about? When you get together with your family and they talk and they're excited about this and what are they not excited about? See, that's all subtle advertising of the life worth living and pursuing. And if we're not careful, and we start thinking through the goals that are fashioned into our hearts at whatever stages in life, you can start answering that question I asked earlier. You know, what is it that you want to have done or experienced in your life by the time you graduate from high school? Well, you know, if you're not careful with that, I mean, I remember when I was growing up in high school, um, you know, having the right pair of shoes was a big deal back then for some reason. I mean, the right pair of shoes, it, it defined who you were. So, if, you know, if you're a teenager in high school, buying that pair of shoes was something that you were very interested and excited about. When you got closer to graduation, it was getting a car. I mean, that was the ultimate thing. And there was guys before you that you were friends with who got a new car. Their parents got them a new car. And you were thinking, oh, man, wouldn't it be great? <clears throat> I could have a new car. You know, well, I'm not sure today. I think cell phones are a big deal. You know, if I could just get the latest cell phone that does some unique thing, has the right color to it and the right features. Well, you know, those can become the aspirations of our lives. You know, when, by the time you graduate from college, what is it that you really want? Well, we can begin to think, well, you know, at some point in my life, I want to have seen the Grand Canyon. That's what I want. You know, before I retire. I want to see the Grand Canyon. Before I turn 40, I want to have made a million dollars. That's what I want. I want, to have, I want to own my own business by the time I'm 40 years old. That's, that's a goal in my life. I want to get a 4.0 before I graduate from college. That's just a goal. I want to build my own home. <clears throat> you know, we've been living in this. I mean, I just, I just want to build my own home one day. 
Well, all those things can become our aspirations, and they can become the things that we're really, really excited about. Now, maybe as you thought through that list of various stages in your life, how many put down dreams like, before I get out of my 20s, I want to have led 20 people to Christ. That's what I want to do. I want to lead 20 people to Christ before I'm out of my 20s. I want to be able to identify these guys are in the kingdom, walking, building the kingdom of God. Before I'm 30 years old, I, I want to be a part of a church planting team. I want to go with a, with a group of other folks, and I want to plant a church in a place where the gospel needs to be observed and proclaimed. I want to be a part of that before I'm, I'm 30 years old. <clears throat> I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit before I get out of high school. I want, I want to experience the power of God in my life in the ways the Bible describes, in the ways that my parents and grandparents talk about the power of God taking place. I want that before I exit my high school years. I want to be used in the gift of prophecy before I get out of college. I want that gift. I want that going on in my life. I want to start a Bible study in my dorm before I graduate. I want to start a Bible study in my, in my workplace in the next few years. I want to start an outreach Bible study going on in my, thank you, babe, in the, the work environment where I am. Before I turn 40 years old, I want to have given $100,000 to the kingdom of God. Are these the things that we really get excited about? They have decent goals, and we actually will think of them favorably. But are they the things that are most informing the passion and the goals and the ambitions of our lives? Well, this series, The Life That We Were Meant to Live, is about us taking the time to read. You know, if this, if this were a brochure, how do we have this up here? Um, if this were a brochure amongst the brochures, and intentionally asked Eric to design this thing exactly that way, because notice the Bible just is having to find its place amongst all the other brochures of life. All the other things in life that cry out to us, that are valuable, that are things that we're ambitious for, we're getting educated for, we're dreaming of, we're investigating, we're doing research on. And the Bible just kind of finds its place amidst all the rubble of that. Well, the life we were meant to live is about picking up this brochure and reading it. And becoming convinced, I I want that life. I don't want my life to go by and having missed this. I've got all these things. I've got a great golf game. I've had new cars over and over again. I've got money. I've got a retirement program. I'm part of the great spa. I own my own house. I've built several houses. I've accomplished all these things. But so little of what is in here has been found in my life. Remember what we started with. I don't want to get to the end of my days, wherever those days are. Whether it's high school, or college, or your 20s, or your 30s, or your 50s. You don't want to get to the end of that phase and look back at this, and then look back at that and say, Oh, I wasted it. I didn't live the life I was meant to live. Well, this, this morning, I want us to get informed about a particular aspect of the life that we were meant to live. The title of the message today is A Life of Fruit-Bearing. Duplication, Multiplication, and Growth. 
I want you to turn with me to John chapter 15. Much of what we've done in this series has been simply, and I think there's, there's something to be said of simplicity when it comes to the scriptures, of simply gazing at the lives that were lived in the book of Acts. Before church history had had the opportunity to introduce its distortions, its wrong practices, its bad ideas, its shifts of emphasis, you just had this virgin soil of a bunch of people who met Christ, were touched by the Spirit of God, and just started living life. That's the life I want to live. I want the life they had. I want to see it in my life. I want to see it in my life. I want to see it in my generation. And often when we found myself preparing for these messages or encouraging the other guys, almost before you can get to the book of Acts, I find myself having to go back to the life that Jesus was preparing them to have. Preparatory statements that he made before they begin to live their lives that they were meant to live. And this is one of those statements. John 15, it's in the context of the last evening that Jesus is with his disciples. So they are just on the verge of the life that they were meant to live. And we find this statement. This is one of those great, great purpose statements in life. John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, or that it should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I chose you, and I appointed you, that your life would bear fruit. Now, what we want to consider today is, what is this life of fruit-bearing, and let me say this before I get into some of the details of what that looks like. Why, why is this so important? Why is a life of fruit? This, this is going to be a dimension of the Christian life. It's not, it's, well, it kind of touches every area of the Christian life. But it's a dimension of the Christian life. Why is it so vital to you and me this morning that we understand this? Well, when you look at... These elements of bearing fruit. Remember, Jesus made this statement. This is where we began. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Now, if I were to take a poll here this morning, is there anybody here who's not interested in abundant life? Everybody be interested in that. Everybody wants the abundant life. Well, the question is, how do you get there? Is it just enough that you know Jesus said, here's the abundant life? Or do you need to pay attention that Jesus put together these stepping stones, if you will? If he started with us here and he says, hey, I've come on the scene so that you could have life and you could have it abundantly. Step one, put your foot right here. All right, now put your foot right here. Now put your foot right here. Now you're on your way. You're on your way to the abundant life. All these steps take you to the abundant life. It's almost like if this is a brochure, it's almost like a travel brochure. Right? You always have these destinations that are these beautiful Crystal blue waters and mountain scenes and chalets and all this advertisement. But how many of you know that there's steps to take in order to get to that location? 
the brochure being presented to you by the travel agent, up front there's going to be cost involved. You know, step number one, do you have the money for this? Are you willing to part with it? All right, well, I got to consider spending. This is going to be un- before it gets beautiful and luxuriant and comfortable, it's going to cost me something. Am I willing to pay the cost? Okay, we'll take a step then. All right, I'm going to have to fly to that destination. Am I willing to get on an airplane? That's the next step. Am I willing to rent a car and drive to that spot? Yes. And then get to the hotel. And next thing you want in a great setting. See, there are steps to the abundant life. And some of these steps can't be skipped. Right, what we've been doing in this series is just laying out the, the, these stepping stones to the abundant life. Where Peter began in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The life of the Holy Spirit filling and dominating who we are. You can't have the abundant life without that. If our theology has minimized the Holy Spirit, then you're not on your way to the abundant life. You may be on your way to religion. You may be on your way to your best efforts. But you're not on your way to the abundant life. The abundant life is the life of the Spirit in us. So we can't skip that step. Some of us have some... I'm going to touch on this today, but some of us have some peculiar convictions in that area. You need to get over it. Can I just tell you, some of you, I don't know who you are, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular here, but some of you have peculiar convictions in this area and you haven't done enough homework for them to be your convictions. You heard somebody foam at the mouth one day on a radio program or stand in a pulpit, you were in some church somewhere where, where the guy got up and railed and made criticisms about a dimension that's in the Bible. And you let that get deposited in you and you never did the homework yourself. Shame on you. You're not on your way to the abundant life. I'll tell you that right now. I don't care how much of the Bible you know. There is no abundant life apart from the life of the spirits in you. And so you've got to get that area right. And you need to be correct and, and pursuing. God's renewing us and he's teaching us. There's a lot to learn. Doesn't mean you have to be 100% accurate. Never will be that. But, to, you know, the first step to the luxurious blue waters of the abundant life is you're going to need to be open to the Spirit and pursuing the Spirit. That preached about boldness. You know, that stepping stone of a life of bold faith. Bold faith that takes risks and steps out in areas. That's not comfortable. Jeff preached about the size of this calling of our lives, this mega-sized life that we're called to, where we have to be flexible We have to give up certain things and become very rigid in pursuing other things that are much more important. See, these are not comfortable things. But if you love the brochure and you love the blue waters at the end of it, these are the steps to get there. And today is another step. Being purposeful about living a life that bears fruit and cultivating that life is a step towards the abundant life. Now, I'm going to hit two dimensions of this, and I think it's important and I don't have time to explain all the reasons why I think this is important, but I'm just set it in front of you. There are two dynamics of fruit bearing that I believe both are being described and both are modeled throughout the scriptures. One is personal fruitfulness. I called you and I chose you and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. I think there's a dimension of that that has specific application to personal fruit bearing in my life. The work of sanctification. The work where I am changed from glory to glory and from faith at this moment to faith here and from littleness of strength to greater strength in my life to putting on the person of Christ and being conformed to his image. I think that's fruit bearing. 
The Holy Spirit comes into our lives. There's there's this pushing out, if you will, of the character of God that begins to be seen in me, where I might have been some selfish, hot headed jerk before I knew Christ. And those things may be diminishing and other things are increasing and different fruit is growing in my life. The activity of God is increasing in my life personally. That's sanctification. The church ought to be all over that. That's a huge, huge function of the church. Very, very important. And I say that and I don't, I don't I'm not trying to resist chasing off on something here. Um, you know, in America, we have we have somehow grown to love elements of the message of the gospel. And we have and the church has been stripped of the character of the gospel. And so we, we don't look like Christians. But we still read the same script and tell everybody that they need to know Jesus and get saved. And yet the church is full of selfishness and lack of character and ungodliness. And we don't tolerate each other and we sin against one another and we split churches and we divorce each other. And all this mess, we don't look like Christians. But yet we still try to sound like them. Personal fruitfulness is critical. But there's also a dimension of fruitfulness that I believe Jesus is describing here. It has to do with public fruitfulness. And that has to do in the realm of evangelism and the spreading of the gospel. I think Jesus had both of these views in mind. And I don't have the time to unpack all that Jesus said about discipleship. But can you stay with me on that? You know it, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. Get more of them. Increase. Gather in. There are others who need to come in, come into. Like Jesus was all the time seeking those who were lost. So the, the kingdom is increasing in me personally. The kingdom is increasing in this world. And it's being duplicated and multiplied. Can you get those words in your mind? The intention of God in your life is that through you, the work of God would be duplicated. What God has done in you would be duplicated in somebody else, then in somebody else, and somebody else, and else, and else, and else, and increases, increases, increases. That's the purpose of God. That is a stepping stone to the abundant life. We need to learn how to live our lives so that we are aiming at bearing fruit. Let me, let me go real quickly here first through the, the issue of personal fruit bearing. Look in John 15, verse 8. It says, By this, my description of fruitfulness that I believe Jesus is describing here, it has to do with public fruitfulness and that has to do in the realm of evangelism listen let discipleship have a little bit of teeth in it in your definition don't just believe just because anybody comes along and says oh i'm a christian well according to the bible christianity is provable it's provable in your life you know i'm not suggesting you'd be one of these obnoxious jerks and hi i'm so i'm a christian oh yeah prove it you know don't greet people that way but don't necessarily take at face value just somebody who claims they're Christian just because they can use the right lingo. And this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove. So actually, it's not even just questionable little bitty dabbles of fruit. It's much fruit that proves I'm a disciple of our lives so that we are aiming at bearing fruit. Let me, let me go real quickly here first through the, the issue of personal fruit bearing. Look, in, Jesus is teaching this he is linking some thoughts here by using an illustration about the vine and its branches. Look in verse 
5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So how, how does fruit get produced in a Christian's life? Well, let's take the illustration here. You've seen a vine. There's a trunk to a vine. Vine grows down into the ground, has a root system to it. Out of that ground comes a vine that grows. And off that vine grows branches. Now, where do you find the fruit in a vine? You find it at the end of the branches. It's at the extremities of the branches. You don't find fruit growing off the trunk. You find it growing off the branches. Well, how did that happen? Well, Jesus describes something here, and we're going we're to pull John's thoughts in in just a moment from a little broader context. But he says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And he's using the illustration of this vine and its branches. If you break a branch off of a vine it will no longer be fruitful. Why is that? Because coming up out of the ground, out of the root system, into the vine, is life-giving sap. It's the very nature of that vine. It's the, the animating power. It's what causes... And, and what it does is it travels through the vine and it begins to travel out into the branches. It is that sap, that life-giving force that travels into the branches that causes the branch to bear fruit. Now, if you cut off the sap from the branches, the branches, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't bear fruit apart from Christ. Now, does that mean you, you can't breathe and knock on your neighbor's door and help an old lady across the street? I've got people all over the world doing that, but apparently that's not bearing fruit. And that would illustrate the fruit we're talking about is the fruit of the life of the vine. It's not the fruit of human flesh. It's not the fruit of selfish ambitions of men who do a lot of good things for their own glory. It's, it's the life of the vine. vine is life-giving sap. It's the very nature of that vine. It's the, the animating power. It's what causes... I think I put these passages in your outline. First John... It's amazing how, how much John I thought about this as I'm preparing. How many messages and how many things and the, the vast scope of things that we've talked about as pastors and preachers. And it's the, the animating power. It's what causes growth. And what it does is it travels through the vine and it begins to travel out into the branches. And we're actually preparing to study through the Gospel of John here shortly. But listen to this from 1 John, chapter 3, verse 25, apart from Christ. Now, does that mean you, you can't breathe and knock on your neighbor's door and help an old lady across the street? Them, this mutual abiding. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. How do we know that Christ, remember Christ said, apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we know that Christ is abiding in me? By the Spirit, if you will. The Spirit is the sap of the vine that is causing the emanation of the fruit into the branches. 
It is the life of the vine and the way in which you and I have in connection with Christ. This is where our theology needs to get squared away with the Holy Spirit. You don't have a connection to creation of Scripture and he doesn't drift very far topically. He's, he, as a matter of fact, he's very repetitive in what he says. Thing apart from the Spirit. The life emanating presence of God that's in you is the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and causing fruit to be born. Now what's interesting here is John says, whoever keeps his commandments will abiding. And by this we know that he abides in us. But, John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do we know that Christ, remember Christ said, apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we know that Christ is abiding in me? And he's talking about love and he's talking about the commands and obedience to God in this abiding relationship. First John 4, verse 7, begins this way. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, he's talking again about knowing God. He's talking again about being born of God. How are we born of God? Asking here about the work of the Spirit. Now, listen to the similarity here. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. You go back to John 15, verse 12, here, about the work of the Spirit. Now, listen to the similarity here. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. You go back to John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you see it? John doesn't drift very far here. He keeps talking about the same things and causing children. Now, what's interesting here is John says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them. That is in the believer. And he, but, but listen to what he's talking about. He's talking about love. He's talking about commandments. Talking about obedience. In John, he's talking about joy, love, and he's talking about the commands and obedience to God in this abiding relationship. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. of God in us. We are born again by the Holy Spirit. He is speaking here about the work of the Spirit so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also have about the work of the Spirit. Now listen to the similarity here. Beloved, let us love one another for God abides. Now he's back to abiding. Abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He's talking about the same things. He's talking about this abiding presence, he and us. Because he has given us of his Spirit. And he keeps talking things. He's talking about this abiding presence of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit of God. I think we, we tend to go to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we tend to go to numerous places in Acts. We tend to go to a certain favorite amount of places that we go in order to find the Spirit. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among their A disservice has been done in that. We bear fruit. All the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world in our lives. Every element of fruit bearing in our lives. And, and, and I believe that covers a wide variety of love God, but that he loved us. 
and sent his son. The love is from God. You go back to John 15, verse 12. This is my that fruit you would go. Chose when Jesus says, I, I called you and I appointed you and I chose you that you would go and the spirit of God fruit give. I think I think fruit was all that the spirit of God would bring. I think that fruit was holiness. I think it was conformity. So let me say this this way. I'm going to create a little theological tension here this morning. For the find the spirit. Okay, well, I think I think to our lives, our lives is a Pentecostal consequence. The expression of, uh, we tend to go to numerous places in Acts. We tend to go to First Corinthians chapter twelve. We consequence. Let me get worse. In our lives, every element of fruit bearing in our lives, and, and, and I believe that covers a wide variety of costal event. There's a lot of folks here who just found out they were Pentecostal and didn't know it. That you would go and bear fruit. I think that fruit was evangelism here. I believe there has developed through church history. It's actually that the spirit of God would bring. I think that fruit was holiness. I think it was an unhealthy dichotomy about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. This theological tension here this morning. I know that a lot of folks would have gone to these passages to see the life emanating power of the spirit of God. I think we can from this carefully always. But if you, if you study first Corinthians. Pentecostal consequence. Service has been done in that. We bear fruit, correct them. For them, they had drawn a line and they had made the Spirit's activity about spiritual gifts. The expression of the life of the Spirit into our for them to do that. But what they were lacking was more in the character here, something here. I believe there has to go and I think that fruit was evangelism. I think that fruit was change of character. I think that fruit was spirit in the sound on when he does that. Love one another. And the church has been adjusting itself in this category historically always. But if you're at right, love is a spiritual function. The Holy Spirit's function is love. Now, Paul comes in to create this dichotomy where the Corinthians are saying, no, the Spirit. For them, they had drawn a line and they had made the Spirit a consequence. And he says, but if you don't have love, you're just, you're just noisy and clanging and banging around. So much so that Paul had to come in and correct them. For them, they had drawn a line. He was not, he was not coming in trying to pour cold water on spiritual gifts. And then they had made the Spirit's activity about spiritual gifts. Not they were Pentecostal and didn't know it. Orally in this area. The more excellent way is not love instead of gifts. It's not in Corinthians. But what's happened is the church has taken this teaching realm more in the fruit realm of the Spirit. Let me highlight something here. Did about that. Now, what happened in church history is that as, as history moved on, the church began to put more emphasis on fruit of the spirit, character of the spirit, and begin to neglect spiritual gifts. They begin to do exactly the. You just 
you're just noisy and clanging and banging around. And people begin to see less and less and less of them. And people begin to form a theology based on that. Listen to me, not based on Paul comes in and says, but if you don't have love, you just, you just know spirit begin to diminish. They begin to create a theology that fit their experience. You know, what's interesting is that's what charismatic do was not doing. He was not coming in trying to utilize the thing of the Holy thing of the Holy Spirit. Have done so not because the Bible clearly says that, but the more excellent way is not love instead of gifts. It's not the people who have are just weird. Stay away from that whole thing, and they develop a theology that stays away from it. And for you, dichotomized stance when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And the Corinthians did it years in history. This dichotomy of dividing up the Spirit occurred. Corinthians did it. They led the way first. And they made the Spirit only about gifts. Love is a spiritual function. The Holy Spirit's function always, always, always meant who have seen the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the full realm that it was biblically given. Theology based on that. Listen to me. Not based on what the Scripture says. Based on the fact that there Jonathan Edwards and those who led the Great Awakening begin to see the Holy Spirit begin to do things. And what's interesting is that's what charismatics get accused of. Creating theology that fits their experience. It looked just like the book of Acts. It looked like the virgin soil of the Holy Spirit interacting with people. That, and they develop a theology that stays away from it. And for years in church history, and in hundreds, Men like John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield begin to hold meetings and begin to hold meetings and D.L. Moody begin to hold meetings and the power of God was showing up in ways that ways that were peculiar, peculiar to my, and now modern experience, not peculiar to this guys that were common in the century. So I'm just going to stay away from that whole movement. Now this name, name. We had Pentecostal movement. Now this thing is getting a name. We're not going to let him realm, go into the realm of gifts. And then, as we moved on, the church began to put more emphasis where the charismatic movement began to lay hold of those things. And people outside of Pentecostal awakening began to see the Holy Spirit begin to do things that look, listen to me, going on, on here. All that was taking place was the presence of the Holy Spirit in who led the great, great awakening begin to see the Holy Spirit begin to do of what the Bible says is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. On and on and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield begin to hold meetings and DL and some of the people who have are just weird. So I'm just going to stay away from that whole thing. I can have a dichotomy in my own theology. I can start saying God was showing up in ways that were peculiar. People were speaking in tongues. They were prophesying. That's the move of the Spirit. No problem. They had the Pentecostal movement. Now this thing is getting a name. I'm looking for the Spirit. And, all, and the Spirit's flying by me all the beginning. Pentecostal movement. Now this thing is getting a name. It's there in people's lives. Is the Spirit moving in your church, Keith? Nah. A lot of Pentecostalism begin to be open to dimensions of the Holy Spirit. Jonathan Edwards and those who led the Great Awakening Begin of sin, of spirit. People abandon sin. They're becoming under the sobering effect of the Holy Spirit. Listen, where the charismatic movement begin to lay hold of those things and people outspent. People being set free where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
people start in the full realm of all of a sudden that drops off of their life and they're walking in freedom. They're experiencing joy. Well, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the move of the Spirit. People begin to break out in prayer. What is that? It's the spirit of supplication. That's the move of the Spirit. No problem with that. But is that the only thing? Getting a name. And then that Pentecostal movement, Azusa, to occur. Salvation begins to occur. Hearts begin to get opened up. They were prophesying. That's the move of the Spirit. No problem with that. In hundreds. You had the Pentecostal movement. Now this thing is getting a name. Spirit to people. Spiritual warfare. All, I mean, spirits flying by me all over the place. See, if you'd have sat down with the Apostle Paul, without your dichotomized, abandoning the overing effect of the Holy Spirit, listen, the Spirit begin to lay hold of the Spirit. Well, I've got a definition for that. It's very narrow. Bondages and afflictions that they've been walking in for years, all of a sudden, I believe in the move of the Spirit. If I'm not careful, if I'm the apostle, I'm the apostle, I'm view. Move of the Spirit. Well, I've got a definition for that. Of joy and obedience. Those are the three things he mentions in John 15. The God of Christ. It's the unity of the Spirit. Where are we getting this stuff from? We are burdensome. Those are the three Spirit, the abiding presence, the sap life of God coming into the branch. People start having chains drop off their life and bondages and afflictions that they... Let me... Let me create a little bit of tension here. If I haven't already. Forces of darkness are being pushed back. How about this? You're just simply not open to the gifts of the Spirit. For whatever reason. You've been taught against those things. You have a bias. You have to overcome some elements in that realm. Let me tell you where I'm not prepared to go with you. John... And we're to discuss with him a move of the Spirit. You can't, you can't experience a move of the Spirit in your life. First John, he would discuss love, joy, and honor. Drop that off of their life and they're walking in freedom. They're experiencing joy. Well, what common in the New Testament? Cannot be experiencing the power of the Those are the three things he mentions in John 15. I preached about a couple of weeks ago to where some of the most evangelistic people I know who overcome the fear of man left and right. Those who discuss love, joy, and obedience of the Spirit. Where are we getting this stuff from? Salvation begins to occur. Hard for you people who are under the heavy conviction of God. They're experiencing it and they want to change. And they begin to get free and walk in new patterns of their life. Is that not a move of the Spirit of God? Yes, it is. Listen, I, I don't want to feel the need. There are some here probably today that you're just simply not open. The verse of the New Testament speak to me. I don't find these dichotomies in the scriptures. Let me tell you where, let me tell you where I'm not prepared to go with you. I'm not prepared to say, well, the activity of the Holy Spirit in the gifts and the activity of the Holy Spirit in the realm of character and fruit. And in a waving and awakening, I, I don't find the dichotomy that, but they've got a boldness in them. Attention here. 
encourage everybody to do is you need to be open to the full realm of the Spirit. Throw your life open. But they've got a boldness in them. Let me, let me create a little bit of tension here. It's already clear. Um, I think, let me, let me tell you why it is that, that, is a, that is a move of the Spirit of God in their life. People who are being speaking, very emphasizing, which is also very common in the New Testament. Why would I put that before you? In the Scriptures. I don't... I'm ready to tell you that a person who doesn't speak in tongues or prophesy in a little bit the meaning. Because in the simplicity of my mind, I simply painting these dichotomies. See, I want the virgin soil of the New Testament to speak to me. I cannot hear no church. In the simplicity of my mind, I simply believe what this says. I need to, to maintain these dichotomies. See, I want the virgin soil of the New Testament. See a whole, and I can see a whole lot less experience in my life than I can in here. But let me tell you what I'm not going to do. But I don't mind the dichotomy that is in the presence of the church, which is very common, listen, very common in the New Testament. But if I've never done any of those things, am I going to turn around and create a theology that says God? Now, I'll say this, and I'm sure my bias is already clear. I begin to get free and walk in new patterns of their life. But they're not faithful to the Bible. Whether I see all this happening or not, I must, as a prophesy, prophesy, including speaking in tongues, which is very common in the New Testament, and history, the Spirit's been neglected, and there's come a wave of restoration with speaking in tongues, which is very common in the New Testament, and prophesying, which is also very common in the New of God, they're seeing it, and they want to change, and they begin to get free and walk in new patterns of their life. You miss the gifting of the Holy Spirit, have abused the ministry is going, going to sound very demeaning. I don't mean it necessarily to be demeaning, but I probably mean it a little bit to be long that, that because somehow the Bible is now here. I, I don't find that even honest. And I can see a whole lot less experience in my life than I can in here. But let me tell you what I'm not going to do. What 1 Corinthians 13 is saying. It may be what somebody assumes 1 Corinthians 13 is saying. If there are tongues, they will cease. There's knowledge, it will cease when the perfect comes. It just debates the whole issue of why give spiritual gifts in the first place. Just as a, as a hold me over until the Bible comes? Or is it on any of those things? Am I going to turn around and create a theology that says God doesn't do that? The Bible? Bible? And, and help me understand. When did spiritual gifts actually cease? Was it on the Isle of Bible? That's a terrible way to teach. And it's unfaithful to the Bible. Whether I saw over the... Somebody in mid-sentence all of a sudden just dried up and stopped... But let me tell you, tell you those who have dismissed the gifting of the Holy Spirit, just, just, just no longer, you don't need, because the Bible has been completed. Well, maybe it wasn't when the Bible, you that at some point, God no longer does, in the simplicity of my mind, I simply believe what this says. Erica, Erica, Spirit, in the bush somewhere where there's no written Bible in their language, they language, they still have spiritual gifts going on because they don't have the Bible. Or maybe the Gutenberg press. It just debates the whole issue of why give spiritual gifts in the first place. Just as a birth, get you to see something. If you're going to strap this, the ending of spiritual gifts to the formation of this... What is Ephesians 13 is saying? If there are tongues, they will cease. There's knowledge, it will cease. There's very rare occasions where I've laid hands on somebody and anybody's been instantly healed. There are a few instances... Maybe... Maybe spiritual gifts are going to cease when we don't need them anymore. 
And, and help me understand, when did spiritual gifts actually split? But let me tell you something. Those who have dismissed the gifting of the Holy Spirit in church no longer needs to advance the kingdom of God, to be built up because of the... Gifts like knowledge, they just no longer, you don't, the wave is dark. We won't need spiritual gifts. There won't be anybody in heaven speaking in tongues. They won't. Up to when, the, when the Bible did that. Well, maybe it was once they begin to speak, because somehow the Bible is now here. I, I, I don't sense. Let me move from personal openness, personal openness. In the bush somewhere where there's no written Bible in their language, they still have all these dimensions of the gifting of the Spirit, the character of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love and obedience by the Spirit I created. Now, I'm trying to be ridiculous here to get you to see something. If you're going to strap, suddenly we should be bearing fruit publicly. Right? Go, now, let's, let's go ahead and jump into Acts here. We're going to get a quick running view. I'd have done it that way. Maybe the perfect coming is not referring to fruit. We fruit right? Let's jump here and get a quick view. Through Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, referring to this. Maybe has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Back, and he closes the end of the age, and the church no longer needs earth. The of the Spirit of God, given in power, is for the purpose of that just makes sense. Spiritual, spiritual gifts, but in the bush somewhere where there's no written Bible in their life. What the Spirit does in other realms. But in this category, this is for every believer to realize. The whole, to, to bring lives, which should include all these dimensions of the gifting of the Spirit, the gospel to the gospel to others. To be my witnesses. Personal openness. Personal openness of God that ever got created. Now, I'm trying to be ridiculous here to get you to see something. If it's the gospel, living life in such a way that the, the gospel goes from this life into Acts. A quick running view through Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Form activity for a Christian. Look at what happens here. This explosion takes place. Acts chapter 2. Peter began with this verse. Christians cannot go too far without... The day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit has come. Spirit is breaking out here. Okay? Earth. Here, the presence of the Spirit of God given in... This guy who turns around and he owns property and just turns around and decides, I think I'll sell it and give it all away. That's the Holy Spirit of, of the earth. Now here, the presence of the Spirit of God. Next, we're going to learn that wrong. Funk, funk it to make that guy so generous. And then probably the gift of faith as well. He could have with his own sense that he needed for the future. But he's willing to give that because he had faith. And it's God to us. To be my witnesses. These dimensions of the gifting of the Spirit, the character of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love and obedience is the preaching that Peter brings and the salvation of those who come in. Now listen to the multiplication here in Jerusalem. In such a way that the, the gospel goes from this life and it gets duplicated in somebody else. And there were eight to the multiplication rings and the salvation of those who come in. Now listen to the multiplication. The gospel goes from this life and it gets duplicated in somebody else. And dupl- Remembering this verse, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, Bible is a, is a definite identifiable activity. That's, that, that's the Holy Spirit. 
This guy who turns around and he owns property. His power is for the purpose of people being witnesses. Program about him. Preacher from Tulsa, Oklahoma, he was a very popular preacher through the gift of faith. Is he could have been parting with some of his life's investments. Have came to a point in his in his life last several years, but he's but he's but he's he had faith in an unusual level to give away significant elements of, and he really lost. At least everyone is saved. Jerusalem, parting with some of his life's investment, money that he needed in his life. And, and now, everybody, everybody is saved. And the salvation of those who come in. Now listen to the multiplication here in Jerusalem. There's no way that the, the gospel goes from this life and it gets duplicated in somebody else. And nuts. Can you, can you add somebody to something that they're already a part of? Three. Listen, conversion in the Bible is a, is a definite identity. It's a normal activity for a Christian. Look at what happens here. Because only 3,000 received the word. Belief is a very clear thing. Whether you're a Christian or not is one of those blurry things. Okay, You look all over this Bible. You look all over what these guys did in the New Testament. That's the Holy Spirit, the word of God, into your life. When you believe and you put your hope and your trust in it, that's identifiable that you would have done about Carl. About, was a, a preacher from Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was put together by Luke after these events. I don't doubt that that, that freedom, everyone is saved. This, this man, starting with some of his life's investment, money that he needed for the future. But there were 3,000 that responded and went on and followed Christ with their life. Acts 2, verse 47. I'll back up to 46. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking... Not! No, they're not! How can you... God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being... How add somebody to something that they're already a part of? 3,000 added this life of duplication and multiplying the gospel into more maturity. Now, there comes a point in your life when you receive... Verse 4. There is Peter message and there's been a response. Some rejected. Verse 4. But many received... The word. Belief is a very clear thing that we hear very thing. Believe. Believe. Heard some response, but four preached another message, and there's been a response. Some rejected. Verse four. When you believe and you put your hope and your trust in it, that's identifiable that you would send that one meeting where salvation occurred in such an amazing way. Acts chapter five. Crowd in the and your trust in it. That's identifiable that you would have done that in your life. More than ever to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, multitudes. I'll back up to 46. Day by day, attending the temple. But how can you add somebody to something that they're already a part of? People, 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 people were coming into the church. The normal element of the Christian life with glad, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor. Do not see growth by evangelism have a problem going on in their midst. Added to them generous, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. In souls won in years and years. There's a problem going on. I'll tell you this. Many response sent a message, and there's been a response. Some rejected, verse 4, but many holy lack of, lack of Trinity, problem, Trinity, problem, Trinity, be problem that God's not favoring them with souls because they're not leading them to work. It's the men in this setting. 
So we don't know how many were. 8,000 number was perhaps those who bore fruit and so proved to be disciples. As part of this team, it is never just good enough for us to be here. It's never just good enough. There is a response. Many of there's been a response. Some rejected, verse 4, but many of those hope and you trust in it. That's identifiable that you would have done that in your life. The king God for him to receive glory through their lives. We will never stop doing evangelism around here. It's for people to be added, for souls to be written in the Lamb's book of life from the same way we don't do really weird stuff. Nobody got pierced this or discolored that and hair sticking up the wrong way and using the wrong words and they're around your children. A church is for people to be added, for souls to be written in the Lamb's book of life from more. A lot of of committees don't like that. Shape the view of holiness. It could be a problem with the lack of doctrine. It could be a problem that God's not favoring them with souls because they're it's not in the Bible. In the Bible, people are added and added and added. Then you go outside, look into Acts chapter 8. You get outside Jerusalem and we go into Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Souls one seen, souls one in years and years. There's a problem going on. We're all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Note quite carefully. Except the just good enough. There is a lost world out there. There are souls that accept the apostles. Verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about that were not in. And listen, a lot of churches aren't into evangelism. It's just nicer to gather everybody together. And the crowd's attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean around here. That'll never be something that we're not into. And listen, a lot of people who were lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. In verse 25. Now, we don't do really, nobody got pierced this or discolored that and hair sticking up the wrong way. And it's turned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So into Judea, into the... Like that, that shape the view of the pastors and how they lead. It's wrong. Fred is a curse. The seed of the gospel is being planted and planted and planted and planted so that more and more... Even and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. And that, that individuals who you know, kind of just collect a bunch of people together and it's just it's good enough that we just have us. Listen, of the planted and planted, planted fruit and planted so that more and more fruit can increase to the glory of God. Acts chapter 11. Now, a lot of churches, a lot of committees don't like that. Shape word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Verse 4. Now, those who were never, never, great, great, but great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this were scattered, except the apostles. This came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas, that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were brethren. You know, all that stuff happens when you get the lost people coming in. A great many people were added to the Lord again. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to testified and spoken the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel. Especially churches like ours, who are in the position of building a building. You know, there. Now those who were scattered because of now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip's not about the numbers. It's not about the numbers. Can I stand in the context right here with these passages and say? Verse 9, 
Now, those who were scattered in the action of Stephen, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Pastoral teams can feel like, uh, yeah, that's right, we walk with a swagger. People are coming to God is going it. So, so into Judea, into the surrounding areas around Jerusalem. Now, it's about right reason. It's not about the numbers to the glory of God. Acts chapter 11. Verse hey, hey, we'll foot the bill for that. Yeah, we could have built a cheaper building. And many were added to the Lord. Again, so Barnabas around you know, we built a, a church that had 650 seats because that's about when we all kind of get together that's about where we'd end up so this six met Tar- Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he had found him because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Christianity is adding to the kingdom it is multiplying it is duplicating our lives into the lives of others with the church when he even saw the Antioch when he came and saw the grace of God he was glad who are these guys in the New Testament who are spreading the gospel like that? Yeah, that's right. We walk with a swagger. People are coming to Christ here, baby. And, this, and Barnabas. You have in Acts 11, those the right reason, the right reason. It's not about the numbers so that men of Cyrene. These were the guys who were multiplying the gospel. Now, numbers. And I appreciate the, the vision of the two those those who were scattered were the ones preaching and spreading the gospel like well, that's absolutely that's absolutely not about the numbers. Stayed in Jerusalem. These I have to say it this way: these are novices. Christianity is adding to the kingdom. It is multiplying. It is duplicating. You know, they're kind of always being told. And we're always trying to say this is gathered a giant feast called Pentecost, where people come, Jews and believing lives in lives of lives of others all over the world. Believing even non-Jews come from all over the world to gather. It is duplicating our lives into the lives of others. And God determines that's the day I'm going to birth my church. Who are spreading the gospel like this? Well, teens can feel like, uh, yeah, that's right. We walk with a swagger. And they're from northern Africa, and they're from regions in Greece, and they've traveled all this way, but they've tasted it in Jerusalem. These, I have to say it this way: these are not. And all of a sudden, on your hands, you had this explosion. You had the 120 in the upper room. The Bible says they were scattered. Were the ones preaching and spreading the gospel, the vision that you guys have to say, hey, we'll foot the bill for that. Over the place. And then persecution breaks out and they kill Stephen. And like any of us, these guys head for the hills. <laughs> it's not safe to stay here anymore. We're out of the world to gather at this spot on the day of Pentecost. You got guys like Philip. And Barnaby and Green probably come to this place. They've met Christ. They've gotten scattered with enthusiasm and power. Come, being even non-Jews, come from all over the world's lives to city to city. These are not seminary graduates. They didn't even attend the Campus Crusade. Thousands get saved, but they're from all over the place. 
And all have place to place, from place to place to place, with a passion and enthusiasm to impart the gospel. They've tra- tra- traveled all this way, but they've tasted of God and they've gotten saved. And these were the guys who were multiplying the gospel. Now, can you think for a moment who... They were normal folks, guys. Philip and Bethlehem are not some extraordinary individuals. The scattered individuals from Jerusalem. They were guys like us. But what an impact they had. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit as spoken of in Acts. Tell me God's not in the attic. These are news come upon you and you will be my witnesses. In all these realms. See? It's not an attic. And they're from all... In his book, Sharing Your Faith with Friends and Family, he says, very well, evangelism is part of the church's responsibility. Ways of evangelism. And in any case, it's the minister's job. It's an enthusiasm to impart the gospel. And all of a sudden, they're in Jerusalem. And they don't want to go home. Some people come to faith through going to a church service. Some through a reading a portion of the, of the Bible. To impart the gospel. And what an effect. Modern century leaves, centuries, leaves us in no doubt that most people are brought to us. But what an impact they had. Of someone close to them. A spouse. A friend. A family member. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit as spoken of in Acts 1. And the power and truth in their heart. And they're going from city to city to city. Multiplying. Multiplier. Well, very significantly through Alpha. How is that happening? Well, what an impact they had. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit as spoke your neighbors, your co-workers. Meaningful relationships have been built. God is using those as and you and you, and you will be my witnesses. In all now, now maybe there's a benefit to a gathering point where something can occur, but evangelism is part of the church's responsibility. They didn't even attend a campus crusade meeting, I'm sure. I don't think they for the gospel, but opportunity that just exchanging the gospel, but for the opportunity that there will be an exchange through church service, some through a reading a portion of the, of the Bible, some serious seed sowers in this realm. Now, a friend, a spouse, a friend, a family member. That seed member, Gail, in the early years of this church, single young woman, West. How are we multiplying? Single young woman who had a burden for her family. You talk to Gail. Relationships have been built. God is using those as highways to men for her family. And she invited them and reached out to them and invited them and prayed for them and reached out to them and invited them and invited them and prayed for them. Using those as highways to bring the gospel into their lives. And when I was a youth pastor, <laughs> keep it down, Eddie. And next thing you know, she begins to bring back to your line, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. She is so insistent. I was a youth pastor then. She's dragging Kristen and Renee 
to come to youth meetings. She'd come with them, whatever she could do just to get them to come. And I remember, I remember the place standing in the altar when Tiffany comes forward to pray one morning to get saved. Doesn't need a church service. It definitely needs some relationships. My husband is actually spreading from her nieces into her sisters. Susie. See, I, I can go back far enough to remember Gail Angela. I don't know if Gail's here this morning. Is saved. Gail has reached out to her mother. She's reached out to her, her brother. Um, I bump into people she invites to out. I can remember Gail in the early years of this church. So, you know, there are folks all over this place that just blow my mind. You know, the Macalusos have filled more alpha tables than you can ever imagine. The Pratts know everybody in the universe. So I decided to for them and annoyed them and reached out to them. I had to slip that one in. No, this is my friend from, from when we were in kindergarten together. <laughs> like, to get saved. Tiffany is in this church. Her husband's son, sons, her son's wife. There's a movie to church. And next thing you know, she begins to bring her niece to church. Saved. Saved. Makat. Saved. And I could go on and on. Belinda Mascoro. Oh, my goodness. To get saved. Tiffany is in this church. Her husband, Johnny. Now the table. She's unbelievable. But see, that's, that's what we're called to. That's the life her mother. She's reached out to her, her brother, um, I bump into people. She's looking at relationships through the eyes of where is the opportunity for the gospel? How have she's reached out to her, her brother? Um, I bump into people. She invites that the gospel might go into their life. This is how God adds to the church. You, you, the Pratts know everybody in the universe. Okay? Be filled with the Spirit. Walk with boldness and in faith. Take a chance and reach out to people. Buy your life into others. Invest it in other people. See the gospel get raised up in somebody else's life. Oh, but that's risky. Yeah. Never, never. Pratts know everybody in the universe. <laughs> very, very risky. The non-abundant life, low risk. Just guys who just got saved. And I could go on and on. But close with this thought, man. You can come. When you look here, by the time this gospel gets to, to the next, you, I mean, if you get anywhere near her, you'll be at the next Alpha, sitting in an Alpha through Phoenicia. It's up here now in Syria, in a city called Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, it's un- unbelievable. But see, that's, that's what we're called to. That's church. And from that location... They are about to turn the world upside down. There's about five leaders that are identified. Church. And God is doing things and changing people in that place. And they decide they're led by the Holy Spirit. See, because they're always there to gobble up more real estate for the kingdom. That is a passion for them. So now they take two of the primary leaders in their midst and led by the Holy Spirit. They send Saul and Barnabas away onto their first missionary journey. And then under their second missionary journey later. And under their third missionary journey later after that. Because, see, not only did they have a passion that souls would be saved, but they had a passion to plant churches. It's very, very risky. The non-abundant life, low risk. It began with just 
an upper room meeting of 120 people in the first church that was in Jerusalem. Very, very risky. The non-abundant life, low risk. Herb, Lystra, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens. The non-abundant life, low risk. Laetia and Maya and Macedonia. These people had a vision for multiplying. The non-abundant is very, very risky. The non-abundant life, the Lord wants us as we're rebuilding to rebuild some things in us. To sort of drive fresh foundations into the ground and strengthen some elements about who we are. And one of the reasons we're doing this series is for that reason. I believe one of the things that God wants to plant churches that would then become another source. You know, when you look here, let me close with this thought, man. You can come. When you look here, by the time this gospel gets church that reaches and affects people's lives and proclaims and lives a gospel before this world and sees people added to the kingdom and added to the kingdom and added to the kingdom. And the more I've prayed and thought about this, the, the more in my heart is a growing passion to plant churches that would then become another source. The way we did was with the thought that one day we would be able to support other churches as a hub for them. And we'd be able to, not just ministry that's here, God has blessed us with amazing talent and gifting here. To be able to export that, the churches that are trying to get started in our area. To be able to use our location to bring all those churches together from meetings of teaching and fellowship and ministry. And man, I'm beginning to pray and just, you know, I want to have in my ambitions, not, I mean, I, I may never see the Grand Canyon. I hope one day I do, but I may never see the Grand Canyon. But, you know, I'm beginning to think, Lord, before I retire as a pastor, I want, to, I want 12 thriving churches planted out of this church. And I can see us, you know, with churches in Lafayette and Baton Rouge and the North Shore and over in the Hattiesburg and the Gulf Coast and over to, to Mobile. And just all two to three hours away from us in Jackson, Mississippi, where, where there can be a network of relationships that we're walking together and building foundations against who we are. And one of the reasons we're doing this series is for that reason. I believe one of the sense of duplicating and multiplying, fruit bearing as an intentional thing that we do. The life we were meant to live. That's the life we were meant to live. Bear much fruit, personally. Bear much fruit, duplicating. Please be able to say at some point in your life, the ambition of my life was before I got out of college, I wanted 10 people to come to Christ. I wanted 10 people to be saved. Have those kind of goals and ambitions. Don't just be informed by the brochures that are around us. This one, let's, let's not get to the end of the season of our lives. And not, I mean, I, I may never see the Grand Canyon. I hope one day I do. But I may never see the Grand Canyon. But, you know, I'm beginning to think, Lord, before... I want to have in my ambitions, not, I mean, I, I may never see the Grand Canyon. I hope one day I do. But I'm. And over in the Hattiesburg and the Gulf Coast and over to, to Mobile and just all along within two to three hours away from our lives. Thank you for the emanating life presence. You're a spirit who is abiding in us. 
so that we can say we can do all things. For we know apart from you, we can do nothing but the life we were meant to live. That's the life we were meant to live. Bear much fruit, personally. Bear much fruit. Desire. The Christianity and fruit bearing would go hand in hand. The ministry of duplication where, Lord, you take your life and by the Holy Spirit, you duplicate your life in us. And we begin to take on the image of Christ in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our actions, in our goals, in the way in which we relate to people and live our worship, our revelation about you, that we would be conformed to... We missed it. We missed it. Let's stand up together. You, Lord Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane of our lives, saying, Lord, Lord, if it's possible, whatever's before me, be done different, differently, but Lord, done differently, but Lord, not my will. What you want be done in my life. Lord, may we not be a people who run from discomfort. The effects of your Spirit in our lives. Thank you for the a cross. It puts us in the crosshairs of danger and discomfort. Lord, bear fruit in our lives. Duplicate the very life that you walk within us, that our attitude and our lifestyle is like yours. And Lord, not only do that personally, but Lord, do it corporately for us. Yes. Lord, do it that every one of us is not sitting back thinking somebody else's job is to reach the lost. Lord, it is every one of our jobs. Make us to be eager to be the nobodies that their names didn't even get mentioned. They weren't Philip or Barnabas can do all things. For we know apart from you, we can do nothing. But by you, we can do all things. Because somebody from Metairie or Kenner or Destrahan or River Ridge, somebody, whoever, came and brought the gospel and planted the seed and the life Lord, if it's possible, whatever's before me, be done differently. But Lord, not my will. What you want be done. God, give us, give us a great vision as we walk in your purpose. And you would make us capable and prepared to plant churches all over this area. Churches that love your glory. Churches that live lives and are compelled by the Spirit to embrace the fullness of who you are and to love the truth, to see application take place in their lives so that the world may be affected. God, we pray that during this season, you would take this series, you would take these words, and you would write them on our hearts. And God, we would emerge with a passion to live the lives we were meant to live and to not miss it because we were busy with something else. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for this grace that has come to us. Do you have a good song, Matt? Yeah, good song.